This is Lawrence. And Bruno. And welcome to Cybersecurity Talks, the interview podcast for cybersecurity professionals and for those who aspire to become one. My name is Laura and with me is my co-host Bruno Weinborg. Together we interview industry experts and explore what it's like to work in the cybersecurity domain. Join us on our journey and listen to our bi-weekly episodes and learn about the latest trends, real-life war stories, and everything you need to know about this fascinating industry. Welcome back to another episode of Cybersecurity Talks. Today we have on our microphones a true authority of the Dutch cybersecurity domain, Bert Heiting. Bert, welcome to the show. Thank you. With over 20 years of experience, Bert has helped numerous multinationals to set up and manage their security operation centers. His clients include ING Bank, Heineken, Swift, KPN, and the list goes on. His career brought him from Virginia to Hong Kong and even to Israel. Besides working as an independent consultant, Bert also co-founded the cybersecurity company Sincerus back in 2004. When he left and sold his shares of the company, the company had 25 full-time employees. Bert is a family man who resides in Hengelo. However, since everybody's working from home, he's considering moving to a warmer place sometime soon. What meal do you start your day with? Two eggs. That's it? That's it. Wow. <laughs> That's why you look so fit. Oh, no. <laughs> Two hard-bought eggs. Oh, I love it. Android or iOS? iOS. What's your favorite phone app? Flitzmeister. Flitzmeister. Huh. You're a fast driver? No, not none. <laughs> <laughs> I can't confirm or deny. Working from home, office, or a mix? Mix. Are you a gamer? Yeah, sometimes to break up my mind. What do you play? Um, uh, modern Warfare. Cool. Laptop, desktop, server, or VM? Laptop. What is a guilty pleasure of yours? Guilty pleasure? Sailing. Huh. That's not so guilty, right? Well, I, I love to do it more than I can afford right now. <laughs> okay. Cloud or on-prem? On-prem. First word that comes to mind when I say cybersecurity? Going fast. And your password is? Secret. <laughs> That's a secret. <laughs> the beginnings. Yeah, once again, we're, we're super excited to have you on the show. Uh, thanks for joining. Yeah. You've been in the cybersecurity domain for over 20 years. Yeah. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen during all these years? Whoa. The weirdest thing. The weirdest thing. Um, I think the, the thing I'm, I'm most surprised me for, from a technical perspective that I was in a network from a customer and I found a, a, a jailbreaked Apple TV which made connection to download all kinds of TVs, series from Russia, China, all these <laughs> countries. <laughs> and it was a very, um, well, let's call it an accountant's company. Okay, <laughs> very surprised. And they were not aware that they were just, well, <laughs> Compromising their own network by such a simple, well, guilty pleasure with an Apple TV jailbreak. <laughs> and how did you discover this? Uh, by accident, because we were in a match and that, that somebody turned on the TV and I saw Apple TV and, and I saw a Cody screen on that Apple TV. So, and I recognized that. I, I'm not going to explain why I recognized that, but I, I recognized it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and can you tell us about your first encounter with cybersecurity? 
I was uh, working for an internet company, the internet provider in 1998, I think, somewhere. And they were selling uh, firewalls, um, BioData firewalls, I believe. And they were installed both. And I learned all about those ports they're using to protect companies, but also building up VPNs between uh, lawyer companies and these kind of stuff. So, and that was really exciting to see. And it was in the beginning of the internet. So everybody was still using their um, 56K uh, modems and they were already in firewalls. And that, yeah. was, that was really. Because was, what was it like back then, cybersecurity and IT in general? Always. Nobody knew anything. So everybody who knew a little bit more than the rest was king. Yeah. And did you already feel during your first encounter like this is something I want to do the rest of my career? No. No, no, no. That, that, should, that should be unfair to say. No, I was in the internet world and I, I liked all this stuff around uh, internet. And I think internet was more from a pioneer's point of view, but no, it was never on that level that I was in cybersecurity, but it, it happens because um, just as I mentioned, you, you were the guy who knew a little bit more about that, what the possibilities were with firewalls, what you could do with a VPN connection. And since then, I think I never stopped with using VPN. Yeah. And now we're 20 years later. Yeah. And you're advising board members, you're advising multinationals how to set, set up SOC. Whatever. Yeah, everything. SOC security, cybersecurity, defense, cyber resilience, uh, how to be cyber resilient. I think that's the most crucial question I always try to answer because it, it's not about, uh, don't, I'm not interested in hackers anymore. It's more about how good are you? Because uh, uh, it, it's, it's like everything else in life. Everything can happen. Are you prepared? For, for the worst case scenario. You will never be 100%, but at least you are aware that something can happen and you can prepare yourself. What should I do if, what if? Those scenarios are the most important one. Yeah. And if we look at a SOC, why is it so important to have a SOC? Um, if you want to mitigate the risk, you want to know how the quality of your uh, security is, then you need to monitor it. And if you, will, you monitor it, you need also respond quickly with the good uh, procedures in yeah. the right direction. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's your first acknowledgement that maybe your security is being compromised or some strange behavior is detected in your network. Then you can do stuff to, well, um, recover as soon as possible. Yeah. Avoid any kind of risk. And nowadays you have SOC, but you also have SIEM and SOAR. Is this the, the future of, of the SOC? Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a misuse of, of naming. Uh, Shim is more about the, the software you're using, SOAR as well. So it's uh, the orchestration, automated reporting. Um, and, and the next phase is that you also automated recovering. So you will see uh, some addition on this level. Um, SOC is more the operations, the blue teams for defending your network. Yeah. And these defendants, yeah, that, that's a crucial factor, but you want to automate as much as possible. So I think if you if you, you think about Shim, you have to think about SOAR. You have to automate. Think about automated reporting, automated response as well. Yeah. Otherwise, it will be very expensive. Because before we started the podcast, you asked me the, the trick question about how many SOC analysts uh, AWS has running now. Amazon. Amazon, sorry. Yeah. And it is zero. Eh? That's zero. Uh, quite surprising. Yeah. 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 I heard that lately from, uh, from a colleague. Yeah. But are they that good with automating everything then? I hope so. Otherwise, we're all in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we're all screwed. <laughs> and, and what was for you the most challenging assignment when it uh, comes to setting up a SOC? The most challenging assignment? 
um, I, th I think starting from fully zero with a new network, with new people, um, and it was from the split in 2020 from ING and ING Insurance. And so we had to start all over again and everything was uh, fluid. Uh, where would we be based? Where people should come from? Um, what network, cloud, and all these kinds of stuff. That was, I think, one of the most challenging things we have to made up. And it's something you never have the ability, almost never have the possibility to build up a SOC and a CM based, based in the Greenfield. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Because what are some of the, the things you would advise companies that consider setting up their own SOC? Start small, grow fast. Start small, that's, grow that's, fast. That's, that's my always, that's, that's also from a business point of view, but also from the same point of view, start small. Because um, if you're connecting too much and you assume, and you have to do a lot of playbooks to automate this stuff as well, you'll be having enormous fluid of, of incidents. You don't know how to deal with that. And if you don't know who's going to deal with that, you will have 200 incidents of a day. And you cannot solve them in 15 minutes. Yeah. And there's also the question, do we do it offshore or nearshore? Or do it really in-house? What's your point of that? And also, did you see that change over the last decade? Yeah, of course. I think that there's a lot of, well, a lot of stuff is going to the cloud. And uh, I think the, the, the next generation CM software already, everyone is in the cloud. And that makes it a little bit less expensive. Less expensive, let's call it that way. But it's not easier. I think the, 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 the still the, the, the brutal question is always, do you have all the hygiene in your network up and running to the max before you start in security? Because it's not about security only. It's about, do you know what your asset management? Do you know what your procedures are? What, what to do? What if? Who's going to be called if something occurs? If you'll be hacked, who are you going to call? Yeah. I don't want to hear a name. I want a role. So if that person is on holiday, someone else picks up the phone and takes action. There should always be somebody in command yep. responsible. Yeah. And how do you set that up if you have a relatively small team, if you want to start small, people need a vacation from time to time? Outsource. Because if you're too small, you have a small premise. You, you cannot afford to have a full security team. It's impossible. Yeah. So you have to build up an ecosystem with all your suppliers and then with all the services we're in the cloud right now. You have to build up an ecosystem as well with all your suppliers. So your suppliers can call them each other. Yeah. Make, make that ecosystem works without any intervention of you. And is there some rule of thumb where you would advise companies if they reach a certain size, maybe no. in revenues or uh, employees that you say, okay, now I would advise to do it internally versus go for managed services? It's more about risk than than, than the numbers from from from. Uh, yeah, um, I, th I think it's more about a risk level because some. Uh, how much risk do you? What's your risk appetite? That's a crucial question. Yeah, and if I look to the current European Union norm, you you will see that they're creating all kind of rules with a certain amount of revenue. You should take care of your cyber resilient. Uh, I don't know. It, it needs to be. CM, SOC, or an endpoint protection, maybe MDM, I don't know. Depends what your, your company is based on. Yeah. And what's the first question you usually ask when you enter a boardroom and everybody's looking at you saying, okay, Bert, show us, show us the magic? Show us the magic. The first, uh, the first thing I want to know is what's your network? What do you have? And, and that's, that's a crucial question. Do you have an architecture of your network? Do you have an overview of your process procedures? Did you exercise them? Did you challenge them? 
And should we start with that? And if you are absolutely confident that everything in your IT is running smoothly, then you should consider a SOC, SOC in CM. And what other options does a company have if, if you don't go knowledge. into knowledge? Knowledge. External knowledge? No, no, no. Pre pre <laughs> I prefer always to work with, with uh, that's my, 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 my name for, for all these guys, the dinos in the company. That the best thing in the company you can, you can meet is, is a guy who worked there for 25 years, been there from start. And the only thing you need to accomplish that he's doing the learning and gaining all the new knowledge about security as well. Yeah. But you need to find the dino. That's the, that's the best guy you can find. Okay. It's funny because I encounter a lot of companies that say we should get rid of the dinos. Yeah. Um, maybe that, that, that works for 10 years ago. But if you look at the current situation, there's a, um, a shortage of good cybersecurity professionals. So if there are no more cybersecurity professionals available, we need to start educate. And so uh, it's a lifelong education for everyone. If it was would work in IT and IT security, well, encounter that you have been confronted with a lot of education. Yeah. Always. This, does it also include your role as a, you're more an independent consultant? But, but I, I need to do education as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 there's, the, well, there's no such possibility that you can think, continue with all the knowledge you have. I think 10 years ago, everybody was doing Prince 2 with project management. Everybody was thinking that that's, that's the main topic. Now, these days, everybody's working agile. Yeah. And I'm not, not discussing what is good or right, wrong or right. I don't, it doesn't matter. This yeah. is changing. So you need to change your skills. That works with cybersecurity as well. Everything was sim in on-premise. Now everything is in the cloud. Yeah. And what's going to be the next big thing? Uh, less people in the SOC, just like the Amazon model. Yep. I think we will get rid of all those first-line SOC analysts. And the most important stuff will be maintenance and, and doing your preparation and avoid. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's more highly skilled jobs. The, 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 the low-skilled jobs for the SOC analysts will be demolished. This, this can be automated, yeah. Yeah, most probably, yes. Building a dream company. And before you... Became an independent consultant. You uh, also started your own business yeah. together with two partners called yeah. Sinceris. This yeah. was back in 2004. Yeah. What was the idea when you set up the company? Um, well, it, it started, but we had the idea what, what, what they do, we can do it better. And I think that's a very good starting point for if, if you are in, in this area for a, a couple of years. But um, we started with the idea, we, we want to create a company but we love to work for ourselves as well. So it's about um, especially focus on the people because it's a people's business. Whatever thing, it, it's not about technology. And I think the majority of all the people is looking for technology. We need a new firewall. We need a new CM. We need a new SOAR or whatever. But it's not about the tools. Um, you need to, to, to deal with the tools. You use them to the max. Yeah. And um, and I always make the, the, the comparison. If I look to the to reality from now, if you have a pilot from a plane and he can fly in a Cessna, if he gets on the chair from the pilot from a 737, I will not go on board. Trust me. So I have a lot of faith, but not that one. So was it really to, to make a company where people felt happy? Was this something that was maybe missing at other cybersecurity yeah. organizations? Yeah, it, it, it was a money-driven business with making hours, uh, 
and, and based on finance, based on big cars. And, and, and we want to grow with business, but also with the people with giving the education and bring them to the right level with certifications. So we're very keen on, on giving the certifications, well, giving, giving the opportunity to, to go for the certifications. Yeah. And what are some of the main challenges that you faced in the beginning of setting up the own business? Um, finding the right people with the right skill set and the ability to do the job, what needs to be done. Um, and then secondly, we were based in Zwolle these days and everybody thought that the jobs would be in Zwolle. I think we didn't have only one customer in Zwolle these days and the majority of all the jobs were in the west of the Netherlands. Yeah, because I can really relate that nowadays there's such a difference in supply and demand of talent. Yeah. But I think this difference is only grown bigger. Yeah. But this was already happening in 2004, 2005. It yeah, it was. And, and people were very old school. But now we have, since the pandemic, pandemic, everybody knows that you have to be, or you can work everywhere. Actually, you don't have to be at the office always. Yeah. That's one of the first questions you make up. But in these days, everybody wants to work as close as home as possible. And the traffic jams were already there. So if you are living in Zwolle, you don't want to do a job in Rotterdam, for yeah. example. Because it's a 124 kilometer drive. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, so Walla wasn't the, the epicenter of cybersecurity. Well, we found it, but I think we were the only one. Yeah. <laughs> but you had a very good ride. The, the company grew to uh, yeah, yeah. 25 people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you decided to uh, leave. Yeah, but if you are, if you start a company, you are being confronted with a lot of stuff about yourself. Uh, with people having um, employees questions um, and after a while you're realizing you're doing more time different things than the topics you are were really passionate about you know about cybersecurity. so my projects were reduced to three days a week and, and sometimes even lower and it was almost every week six or seven days a week work always and, and it feels like normal that's that's the problem it feels like normal to do some, well, factoring, uh, also some writing or doing some updates on your website and all this kind of stuff. And then when you hand over all your shares, I was in a, in a mixture. I was in a very, well, it's just called a, a black hole in my life because I didn't do what people are doing at night or in the evening. Watching TV is not my favorite. So that's when the moment I bought myself a PlayStation 4. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I really didn't know what to do. I, I played four times and then I lost so many times for my daughter. So it was not that fun anymore. Well, was it that difficult to step away from the company? Because yeah. I can also relate. Your business also becomes almost your baby. It and was. And then having to leave that and also see others continue. Yeah. What What was that like? Yeah. Well, I, I will not compare it with a baby. I think that's a different one. You will never give it away. You will never sell it. Uh, but you can compare it with you building up your, your own car. Uh, you're 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 cuddling with it. You're you're very proud on it. You're looking at your your beauty. And uh, after you sell your car, um, everybody can do with the car what they want, and they will give not the word to your car as you always give them for the twelve years. Yeah, and that's the problem. And uh, th I think this was also the reason after I left, I've never been back to the office. Never. That was maybe too painful. Yeah, it's 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 not my car anymore. So, and what would you like to have known back then? that you now know as an entrepreneur? Um, I would have known a little bit more about coaching. I think I wish I had hired 
earlier, some people with, with knowledge would really experience building a company from, from, from zero to hero. Um, I think after I was stopped, after I sold my shares, I started reading all these books and that gave me a lot about insights about myself and the mistakes I've made. And um, I've made mistakes. I, think, I can't even write a book about how many mistakes I've made. Yeah. But, uh, well, it, it was an, an experience I uh, wouldn't have missed. I didn't want to miss, but it's uh, it's painful to realize I made a lot of mistakes myself. Yeah, but that's maybe also where the learning comes yeah. from. Yeah. So some people really embrace failure yeah. and they yeah. almost seek for failure. Maybe, but I, th I think the, the, the worst thing is is that I didn't realize what, what a coach can do. And I, and I don't mean all those business coaches I see on Instagram, but I mean a real best coach. We have done this before two, three, four times. These are the guys who have all the experience have done this. And, and they can tell you um, what you need to take care of about yourself, about your people, about your family, about the values of having free time. Your, 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 what do you do with your spare time? And I think I've sometimes forgot how much thing I can do for myself as well. Yeah. And with this experience, you feel you could be a good coach or mentor now to the next generation of <laughs> security entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, I got some people. I'm doing some coaching every once in a while, but it's more on, on, on a personal level because I know them and I know I try to avoid that they make the same mistakes that I did. Uh, but it's a more on a pretty version. It's, uh, I don't want to have money for that. I, I, I don't think I will be a personal professional coach for businesses. I, I like to do it in cybersecurity, but not from a business coach you know, point of view. No. And I think you you left Sincerus and then, then this was around 2015? 16, 16, 2015, 16, yeah. But you really got in sort of a, a black hole playing yeah. too much PlayStation. Yeah. But how did you <laughs> get out of that uncomfortable situation and maybe the, the pain you felt? I think um, I promised my wife to take off some periods for myself to, to, to get some rest. And I, I promised to take off some rest for three months. Okay. And after three days, I went for a cup of coffee to a customer uh, having a chat and I came back with a laptop and she said, all right, the three months are over. Hire a hacker. I know from pen testers that they always want to find something, something big, ideally. Otherwise sure. they feel they haven't done their job Whatever. well, well enough. How often should you do a pen test, ideally, if, if you're uh, like a multinational company? Yeah, but for me, a, a pen test is a KPI because um, if your security team is able to defend that kind of pen test, so you are detecting it properly, you're absolutely take the right actions and recover it to, to the normal situation as soon as possible. I think you, you deserve a bonus, but um, that will also keep you sharp because you know everything can happen. And so if something occurs, you will immediately respond. That's That's a fun thing about your job. If I'm right, it should be the fun thing because they tried, they failed. Yeah. That should f give you a good overview. And also your uh, your weak points because everybody has some weak points, of course. Your, you car, should, is, yeah. your car has some weak points as well, mine as well. I know my weak points and I don't tell anyone, but there are, of course. But yeah, as long as you are aware of that, then you are focused that you need to do something about it. And how can you give that bonus then? Finding a vulnerability, finding a, a weak point in your network doesn't mean that the hacker can get in. No, 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 I, I get it. Yeah. So if your security team is able to stop a hacker quick enough, 
to respond and take the right actions and make an incident, and you know, all right, they got, they got detected. I think then the IT team need, need a bonus. Make, make it the same with, with, with sales. If you achieve good result, why wouldn't you give a bonus to your IT team? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, that's a brilliant plan. Yeah. And are companies willing to adapt this vision? Uh, not yet, because it's still a cost number with cybersecurity. But I think uh, you, you see it more and more. And we had, uh, I had a company in, in the past where we achieved uh, to, to stop a lot of hackers and we had a very good uh, budget for doing something with the whole team. But it was actually very challenging because some people need to work always. But yeah, it was fun. It was really fun. Because can you walk me through what, what does a SOC actually look like from the inside? I'm, I'm very curious. The I know plans. they have a lot of screens and monitoring all over the world. Ignore the screens. No, it's, it's, no, it's, it's not only about the technology. Then you're talking about the technology. It, it's about role setting. Who's responsible? Who's the first, now in the first line, who's making the first uh, incident report? Then he makes, it says, true, when he thinks it's really dangerous. He makes an incident and put it through to the second line and the second line picks up. You do the investigations. You have guys who are doing the threat hunting stuff. Uh, you have guys who are taking care of the responses and procedures to improve. And run the, I think the most important thing what you need to do with the security operating center is something occurs, try to avoid you will be confronted with it again. That doesn't mean you have to fix up the vulnerability, but also the procedure to stop it automatically. And that's where your automation needs to start. But that's why you need a SOAR, or something similar like that. I don't care if you even call it a SOAR or whatever. But you need to improve your automation level. That you know, you don't want to be confronted these days with a phishing attempt and that somebody manually have to look into a phishing attempt. Is this really a phishing attempt? Yeah, you look to it once, maybe twice. That's enough. So every potential attack and alert should be a learning possibility. Yeah. Yeah. And now we are in the phase with machine learning. Uh, that's why you talk about when you have all the runbooks. But in the next phase, you're going in artificial intelligence that the, the system can make the decisions themselves. And maybe it closes some 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 mail systems because he thinks he's getting under attack. Well, then again, better safe than sorry. My greatest hack. What's the most interesting hack you have encountered all these years? Interesting hack. Wow, so many. Or brilliant hack. <laughs> well. One of the most brilliant hacks was one, one of my <laughs> uh, my customers would, would give me a call on a Friday night, a Friday afternoon, and said, I think I'm hacked. And he was not that smart, actually. So I thought, well, if you realize that you are hacked, well, you made big steps. And <laughs> it was close. I was close by. I said, okay, I drop by. I'm, I'm, it's, it's only 20 minutes drive. I'm, I'm, I'm dropping by. So I think at, at 3 o'clock, I entered his room, and there was a technical guy sitting already there, and something happens and say, what is your first indicator that you're hacked? Well, I didn't receive for the last five weeks money from my customers. Okay, good indicator. Um, what can possibly go wrong? I don't know. Good answer. Of course not, but yeah, you know what it is. And so I said, well, did something change that you're doing your system? Well, we, we found out quite quickly that the hackers, the only thing that changed was his factory systems, his, his invoices that the bank number was changed to a different bank number and all the money they paid for the last five weeks were done to a number immediately s- spread out. And then I think it it ended up somewhere in Egypt. So uh, a guy in Egypt has become very rich. And uh, Five weeks of invoices. Yeah, that was a lot of money, trust me. It was it's really, that easy then. It was that easy. And I was smiling and he was really angry because I was <laughs> smiling. And the only thing I said, smart guy. He yeah. said, why are you smiling? So, well, your invoice system is 
it's not behind the firewalls. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> I think all the other stuff is, is, is based on premise behind firewalls, but there's one system that was not fully behind the firewalls. It was accessible from the outside. And can you also enjoy this? For, yes. for me, I, we're both smiling here. I, I, yeah, I can, I can really have fun about this hacker because he found out, of course. It's wrong, but it's also yeah. exciting in a way. It makes fun. Talent over qualification. And what would you recommend young professionals that might not be in cybersecurity right now, but want to enter the field? There's so much information already available uh, in the field, on the internet, on YouTube, on websites. Um, watch it, um, adopt it, write it down, practice it yourself. You can do a lot of practice yourself quite easily. There's a lot of open source software available. Um, in the last years, I did a lot of presentation, speaking uh, national, but also international. And, and I, I think one of those conferences, they asked me, but it's also expensive to buy all this software. I said, there's a lot of open source software as well. Sometimes it's not so user-friendly. You have to do a lot of your stuff yourself, but if you cannot afford it, you can practice it for yourself at home. This, it's the same idea at home, of course. Um, I did some monitoring my network and it still runs. Um, it needs to be maintained, but it's absolutely fun to see. And, and you, you get, you get used to it. What is normal being monitored and you see your strange behavior of yourself as well. So start monitoring your own network, start monitoring your own system. What happens? What is going on in my network? Why is this software want to have connection to the outside world? Outbound traffic. Do your investigation. You can do a lot of, uh, investigation yourself. There's a lot of courses. A lot of people will help you in all those forums. You, you can do your questions, but do your investigation first and start questioning. There's a lot of possibilities. So the knowledge is already out there. There's you just a lot. have to seek it's it. There. Go for it's it. It's there. Yeah, go over it. It and only takes, it, it takes time. And have you hired during these last years people that did not have a technical background, but that you just really trusted their intelligence or their drive, their passion? Yep. Yeah, we did. Were those yeah. good hires? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I think I, I rather have someone with 100% passion and 70% technical background than the opposite. If you have 70% passion, 100% technical background, I'm, I'm not still not sure if at five o'clock you will be there and fix the problem because it's not a nine to five job. It will never be. Yeah, it will always be 24-7. You always need more time. And uh, when you're passionate about it, you come at home after dinner, after talking to your wife or your, your family, you start searching on the internet. What happens? What just happened? You're curious. And the next day you will have all the answers. And how do you cope with a rather stressful job if it's 24-7 or say you just go on a holiday and the first day of the holiday, there's a hack. How can you ever really unwind from working in cybersecurity? Uh, well, uh, at least I accomplished it once in a while. It's uh, sailing, <laughs> sailing, skiing, um, playing golf. And uh, the more I'm concerned about my job, the worse I play golf. <laughs> okay. it's, it's a mental game. It's, 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 it's uh, yeah, I can see when I'm on a golf course, um, I, I can imagine what my stress level is. I can see it in my play. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I'm, if I'm stressed too much, it's dangerous for the rest of the world as well on a golf course. I do feel that a lot of cybersecurity people are kind of stressed. Yeah, it is. But because there's a lot of pressure, there's a, 
um, a lot of work and there is a shortage of people. Um, people are starting projects and sometimes at the end of the project, they say, oh, we need to do something about security as well. Um, and that's giving a lot of stress because if you planned a little bit better or you should say, well, not do the project because there are no people available. But that's very dangerous if, if they yeah, don't function at their full capacity because they're overworked. Yeah. This is a vicious circle. Yeah, people feel unhappy. And, and the, the, the next curious thing, and this, and we discussed about retain people. Um, people are under pressure for so long and they get in touch with the outside world, the recruitment world, they will realize there are, there are a lot of work, people wanting them to hire. So they get a higher salary, different jobs. And it looks a little bit better maybe as a current job. I don't know if it's just reality. It's more about it looks better. And where do you think the market's going to move, the, the, the labor market, in the next three to five years? Is there a way to stop the difference between supply and demand? Yeah, of course there will be a change. Um, but I think for the, for the next couple of years, we're realizing that um, we, we're now fully focused on all those hackers, the ransomware and all this stuff. But there are a lot of state-sponsored uh, actors right now. And my biggest concern is that the state-sponsored actors will show up more and more in the cyber war. I think we're already in the middle of it, and nobody seems to realize that, that they're trying to create chaos in, in the Western world. Um, and maybe we do as well at their side. I don't know. I'm not really into that point. But uh, I think that cyber war is already ongoing. And uh, we will be confronted with that. And, and, and until now, I'm, the majority of all the hospitals I've seen being under attack is majority is, is, is outside the Netherlands. But everything will, will always stay outside. I think we are a little bit, uh, well, too easy on that one. I think it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned about this system. We are fully dependent on, on cybersecurity in, in the hospitals, but also in the banks, on our financial system. Everybody's paying with this well, electric money these days, it's, it's, it's making you vulnerable fully. So really cyber warfare, that's something you, you dread that that's, that's, I think the biggest threat right now is on that level. You, you see it on all levels. There's so much possibilities to, to start a cyber war. You can do it with the energy levels, with the energy yeah. companies. You can do it with the water suppliers. There's so much vulnerability in these days. Um, I know you are highly dependent. I also know you work with a lot of OT companies, so yeah. critical infrastructure yeah. is related to that. Yeah. Do you there also see some state actors trying to intervene in the systems? That, that, that's what I said. I'm, I'm not always interested in who's doing the hack. Sometimes you see what they're doing. Um, sometimes they don't earn a lot of money, but they create a lot of chaos, uh, destroy a lot of information. So sometimes you're your suspicion is about that it is not only about the money because the majority of all those hackers groups are about the money. But I think if the state sponsors try to create a chaos, yes, of course, that's it should be state sponsored. But I think the, the, the biggest threat you have to deal with is your own system, not about what state sponsored X can do or a hacker can do. It's about how's your defense, how's your resilience about this one. What I would get kind of nervous if I know that Maybe the Russian or Chinese government is is interfering on our electricity providers or on our water supply companies. That that's probably happening. Yes, but that's kind of scary. Yeah, of course. That that's the scariest thing because they can stop your whole society. That you, these are the essential stuff. And the good news is the European Union realized that, and the politicians are working on that. They're creating 
boundaries that we have to take care of. And, and people are responsible for that. So we have the essential uh, organizations who have to do measurements and take resilience about that. Yeah. But this also about the politicians realize that it takes a while before all those actions that take now, we get really inactive in about two years. Yeah. What will happen in the next two years if I realize that 100,000 of soldiers of the Russian are already at the border of Ukraine? We can't wait for two years always. It's a scary development. Yeah, it's it's no, it's it's real reality. I think we've seen this before, and and, and I think what happened in, in Belgium a couple of years ago when when Belgium was hacked, and people are realizing it's too easy, and it takes a while before we detect it, and and also with the biggest uh, supplier hacks like Kashaya and Solwins, this was really, well, that was really a wake up moment for me that I realized guys, come on. We have to depend on our, our suppliers. So if we do all the stuff about our own network, but we've got that the biggest threat is maybe from our suppliers who are a trusted party to enter our network. Yeah. What's your next threat? I can imagine it makes you feel proud working in this field. Um, yeah, well, it's more about exciting. It's more stuff. Proud is not, not, not the right words. It's about, that's the exciting word. There's never a dull day, never. And especially if you work in OT and critical infrastructure, it's everything. No, it's not. not there's no. There's no priority uh, list on that one. No. No, it's, it's the only thing is that you see that OT is, is undervalued right now, but that's that's the only one. Be a little paranoid. And what would you advise individuals? So not uh, looking at companies, but how can we as individuals make the society more safe? Um, well, I'm, be a little bit paranoid. Why does someone try to call me? If, if I receive an SMS that your package should be delivered, but you are not at home, please click to track your package. I'm, I'm not interested in this. I don't even respond. I don't want to click on it, of course, but I delete it immediately because if this package doesn't arrive, it will arrive tomorrow, maybe next week. I don't care. Uh, being paranoid is about, do you receive this document? Do you expect something? And if you expect something and you, re you don't trust it, give a call, give an SMS, give a text signal, whatever. Um, be aware what you use, what you share, uh, also about your personal life. Um, I I'm reading a lot of stories about Facebook, but um, you cannot um, claim it to Facebook. It's about you, what you share on Facebook. You did it. We as the users. Yeah, yeah you are the users. And if everything is for free, you're the product. And how do you feel about social media that everybody, especially the younger generation, is sharing so much content, so much vacation photos, everything is out there. Yep. I, I worry a bit about that. What, yep, what can is. be done with these photos and videos in 30 years from now? Yeah, of course. Well, we, we'll see. I think uh, from my perspective, uh, yeah, of course, it's nice to make some pictures, but why do you want to see yourself in a swimming suit uh, somewhere in Greece? And uh, four years later, you realize, whoa, <laughs> they can use it for different reasons. Because as soon as you upload your photos on social media, you're not the owner of the picture anymore. Yeah. Or whatever you were trying to proclaim, you're not the owner. You you just give it to your social media supplier. Yeah. That's the contract. And you're a family man? Yeah. Do you also share these insights yeah. with your children? I assume. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of my daughters that they're taking care of their social media uh, uh, communications. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, that's really brilliant. good to see that they are 
aware of the situation. And of course, I, in, in the beginning, it was a little bit confronting because they were exploring the internet and seeing what all the possibilities are. But I also showed them the downside and also demonstrated how people can, well, um, falsify some, you know, some identifications. Uh, I did it myself as well for my daughters. They're, they realize, hey, it looks like someone I know, but it isn't. That's maybe a nice bridge to the future of your career because yeah. uh, you also launched your new company, CyberMentor, where you yeah. also want to yeah, maybe educate the new generation. Yeah, ed educate them and also that they're in control of their own cybersecurity because it's too easy to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm handing it over to someone else. Uh, and it's just like, like bookkeeping. You are still responsible. Whatever happens, it's your problem. And you will see that all the people will get hacked. They have some stuff outsourced. But by the end, you are responsible. Whatever you outsourced, you cannot complain to Microsoft or Google, whatever. You did the upload of the data. You put it down in the, in the cloud. It's your data. You're responsible. And it's also your loss. It's your reputation. Yes, your reputation, your money, your information, your database with all your information. Uh, yeah, of course it is, but it's you, you can do it yourself. There's a lot of stuff. Security could not be that difficult. It's more about... Uh, it's. People try to avoid it because they think it's it's difficult and uh, using a VPN every day. Why would I? Should I be afraid of? Why wouldn't you? And would CyberMentor then more be towards awareness? No, 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 no. no awareness is. I'm, I'm I'm not real fan of not not a real fan of awareness. It's more about knowledge, really deep knowledge. What if those scenarios uh, about uh, how do you your, your your asset management? How many computers? How many phones you have? I see a lot of people have more mobile phones. What's on these phones? What do you do with your old phone? What do you do with your old data? What do you do with your old computer? Yeah. Do you wipe your hard disk if you throw it away? Or you give it to your niece and you trust that your niece will never abuse it? Maybe, maybe not. You don't know. It's, it's, it's more about what do you do with all your systems, especially with the companies. You have a lot of people who are doing cybersecurity now, or they have a role in cybersecurity, but they're not really filled with a lot of knowledge about cybersecurity. They're feeling insecure. And uh, how, how to deal with cybersecurity on that level? I want to do, do trainings, but also coaching. And I'm considering to do a, a training for them. And would these trainings be in house or can it be done remote? Because oh, well, my, my preference will be online. Yeah. I think that's the easiest one to show them, to demonstrate what needs to be done when, and, and just giving you some overview, some stage, uh, case studies. What happens in reality? And everybody can guess what, what kind of case studies can be. And if there's one problem you would still like to solve in the, in the next five to 10 years, what would that be? Um, should everything be online? I like that one. That's a crucial one. Why you always put everything online? And it's, it's I think, counterproductive right now because everybody is doing the IoT. Cloud, boom, boom. Oh, yeah. everything, is, everything is online right these days, but do we really need that by this? Yeah, you're going against the, the threat then. Yeah, maybe it's, 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 it's the opposite direction, but it's sometimes you need to consider, do I really need that? Because if you have a, 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 an, um, making photos, why do you always have to make use your phone for that? You can use it with a normal camera. Do you have to put it online? Why need your camera be online? Yeah. But it's indeed with the IoT devices that your, your dishwasher, everything is already connected to the internet. Well, mine isn't. Yeah. My dishwasher is still unconnected. 
<laughs> Am I old school now? <laughs> <laughs> Even my come back to my the coffee. dinosaur idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm a dinosaur idea. Maybe it's just find the dinosaur. Maybe I'm the dinosaur myself. But the thing is still a good fella. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a dangerous one. And how would you deal with this if you really want to make this a priority that people start realizing? Okay, not everything should be online with, with, with the clouds. I think everything automatically goes to the, the cloud on my phone, at least <laughs> I should check. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's the answer. I think that's the answer. But um, it's also unawareness that you don't know what's actually happening and it just goes on the phone. And from there on, most people don't realize what's happening. I, I think it was three months ago that there was some uh, automated scanning on apples on Apple phones that Apple was uh, confirming they were doing automated scanning or maybe there were some nude pictures from children on it. And people realized, hey, where's my privacy? Because it's, maybe it's my own daughter. I can make pictures if we're on holiday. Maybe it looks too nude, but come on, it's my own daughter. What, what are you talking about? Yep. So it's, um, and then your whole cloud will be disconnected. Not not that picture, no, the whole cloud. So it's it's an, um, it's a discussion you have to consider. Somebody is watching your pictures and making statements about that, but that's maybe not true. Who's in control? And at a certain moment, that a lot of people don't realize they're not really in control about the data. Yeah. So, so these big cloud providers from time to time are watching us. Turn it around. If you, you can complain that all those people are not giving you privacy, if you don't want to give off your privacy, take care of it. Yeah, it's your own responsibility. Don't watch to the government. Don't watch to the, to providers. What's in your own behavior? It's in your own behavior. And how many people are leaving home without their phone? Think about it, uh, Lawrence. This is absolutely something you need to think about. Do I really need this? Do you really want this? Yeah. And, uh, but you are in control. Don't blame someone else. You are in control. And I, I really hate it when people say, "Ah, oh, everybody's doing with my privacy." Hey, man. Whatever you can control, control it. Yeah. Yeah, amazing chat, uh, Bert. Thank you very much. It, it, it was, was really, uh, really pleasant. Is there some final statement that you would like to share with our listeners? Better safe than sorry. Better safe than sorry. Also your personal life. Thank you for listening to Cybersecurity Talks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode with the latest trends, war stories, and exciting career anecdotes. If you enjoyed the show, Please review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, could you do me one small favor? Could you please share this podcast with one friend that you think would like this show just as much as you do? Thank you. And for all further information, please go to csrecruitment.nl slash talks and subscribe to this podcast. We will be back with another exciting episode in just two weeks. So see you next time and stay safe.